And we'll get going here. Cookies. Cookies in the... perfect definition to us. Sin is a moral, religious decision. I haven't really explored it for myself. To be honest with you, I don't know what sin is. I think it's a personal opinion. I'd say sin is what you feel, you know what I mean? If you feel that you done did wrong, then that's, that's sin, you know? It's just bad. <laughs> sin Immoral. is bad. Doing something that you know is wrong. If you know that it's wrong, they know that it's, that it's wrong. Sin is when you do something that you know is wrong. When you do something that's uh... Contrary to what you believe. Do you think that there are some sins that are worse than other sins? Is it all the same? Uh, yeah. Personally, I feel some sins are worse more than others. The quick answer is yes. My Catholic answer would be yes, there's mortal sins. And yeah, so, yeah. Tell me which ones are worse than the others. Um, I would think that killing somebody would be a worse sin than lying to your parents about something. Killing someone. Killing another man. Committing adultery. Theft. Uh, rape. Blaspheme. Blaspheme, that's what I would say. To sit there and say there's not a higher power. That's the ultimate sin. Killing people is worse, yeah. It's a lot worse than telling a little white lie, I think. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I said, if a sin is a sin, then it's a sin. Sin is sin no matter way. No matter how you look at it, sin is sin. You either sin or you don't sin. Is there any consequences for sin? I think so, yes. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, it's called karma. It happens to us every day. I, I kind of feel in a karma that what comes around goes around. Whether right. it's a little slam the finger in the door or, or if it's a financial bind or whatever, you know what I mean? So if you do evil, it might not come back to you right away, but eventually it will. Is there any consequences for sin? I think so, yes. I think it affects the afterlife. In what way? Tell me a little bit about that. I don't think we can know. I don't believe in a heaven or hell, but I think it would be different for everybody. Consequences. That's not for me to perceive, or, and that's not for me to judge, really. Who am I to judge you for your sins, or, you know, for my, me for mine? I'm not here to judge who sins and who not sins, you know what I mean? Do you think you're a sinner? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, I don't think I'm up there in the, the, the worst sinners. You know, I feel there's some are worse than others. I'm a sinner on little things, but not big things. I guess I am, because I'm not perfect. Do you sin? I'm sure I have, yeah, so everyone does it every once in a while. Do you sin? I do. Um, how often? Every day? Every week? Every day. Daily. It's ridiculous, but yeah. I probably sin multiple times today. Every day I go to work. Every day I walk out the door. Are you sinning right now, by any chance? No. Is everyone a sinner? I don't, I wouldn't know. Everybody has some kind of sin. We always born into sin, so we all sinners. All right, well, guess what we're talking about today? Everybody's favorite subject. Yeah, I think we're talking about sin. I thought it might be good if we uh, started with some theologians, you know, and kind of got that, that part out of the way, <laughs> and, and then we could dig into the practical side. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 3. It's where we are. We're working our way through the book of 1 John, uh, verse by verse, and today we come to chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. We're kind of biting off a big chunk. In fact, Hopefully, my, uh, my, what I say isn't going to completely match up with your notes. I kind of had, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, maybe you have, where you, you uh, prepare a sermon during the week. You ever have this happen? 
You write a sermon, you study for the sermon, right? And then you get up and you give it on Saturday night. And when you're done, you're like, man, what was that? <laughs> I kind of went home last night. I'm like, yeah, I don't really know what that was. Bill's, Bill's point out. I'm like, I don't really know what that was, but I don't think I can do that two more times. So I kind of went home and, and reworked some stuff. And I'm hoping uh, it makes a little more sense today. So I'm going to kind of stumble through my notes and uh, hopefully it matches up some with yours and what we have in there. But we're going to talk uh, about sin. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. It's kind of an interesting section, in fact, when, um, when, you, uh, when I was looking at other uh, people who have preached through this, through the book of 1 John, a lot of guys, when they get to this section, they just skip it. And, and, and I don't think they do it, um, I think they do it mostly because, you know, John's already talked about sin several times, and how many times can you talk about sin, and after a while, doesn't just get old and boring, and uh, probably, but I think uh, we're going to follow John's outline uh, for topics. So let me read this for you, and I think as I read it, you'll understand maybe why some people don't go through it. This is what John says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So he's off to a good start, right? Uh, You know that he, that's Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. See? It's really simple. There you go. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for bringing us here today and in the middle of just a beautiful weekend, some gorgeous weather, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of choices um, that we could have made, but we have chosen to be here today and to worship you and to hear from you. So Father, I would pray right now that you would do what I cannot do, what we cannot do. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to understand your word for us. Be our teacher, be our guide and uh, help us to, to hear your voice today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Sin. So John's going to talk about sin. And why would he talk about sin? Why would, why would we talk about sin? A couple of things come to my mind when I think a little bit about sin and, and the Christian. Um, one is that there's a tendency, and we kind of heard this in the video, for people today to say, well, sure, there's sin, and yeah, people sin, and yeah, you probably sin, and, and people around me sin, and I sin, but my sin isn't really probably as bad as your sin, or her sin, or his sin. In fact, most of us, and I read an interesting article this week about how most people kind of make up their own top 10 sins, you know, like the worst sins that are out there that people commit, and most of the time, the sins that we put on the list are usually not the sins that uh, we commit, and we kind of have a tendency to do this with sin. Well, sure, I sin, but I mean, I don't murder anyone, and I, I don't commit adultery, and I'm not a child molester, and I don't love cats, so, you know, it's not like one of those things, like I'm a really bad person, and for, and so for most of us, you know, it's like, um, but, but our, our, um, 
the way that we look at ourselves often isn't really based on objective biblical truth um, or really good self-inspection. It's just a way for us to kind of soothe uh, our guilt. So most of us, we're not really honest when it comes to looking at our own sin. And I think the other issue for many of us today is that we kind of think like sin doesn't really matter. And I, I, while I don't hear people say that in the church... Here's the attitude that I see sometimes. People say, well, God's grace makes sin irrelevant. I'm not saying I, I don't sin. I'm not saying, you know, I don't make mistakes. I'm not saying I've never petted a cat and been nice to it, but I'm just saying that, you know, um, God's grace makes it irrelevant. And, and I hear this because sometimes after I've preached a sermon maybe on, on um, sin or um, living holy lives, or sometimes I'll have people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, I really feel like your message is anti-grace. I feel like you're kind of, you know, like you're preaching works when you talk about living right. And really, the gospel is all about the grace of God. And the grace of God means that God covers me and I can just do anything I want and I can sin as much as I want and it just doesn't matter. Really, when you talk about anti-grace, I think the thing that's really anti-grace is to receive the grace of God and then just to step all over it and treat it like it's trash, like it didn't cost Jesus his, his very life. I feel like that's very unscriptural to, to, to come at grace that way but the same thing was going on uh, way back when John wrote this letter 2,000 years ago. There were a lot of people that were, that when they'd look at sin, they'd say, well, sure, people sin and I sin, but my sin's not as bad as your sin. You're way worse than I am. And God's grace makes it all irre irrelevant. So John comes along and he's going to talk about sin and the Christian. And, and when you read this passage there, as I read earlier, it might seem like what John's saying is it's, uh, Christians don't sin. Faithful Christians, they, they don't sin. But we know that's not true because John in chapter one already addressed that. No one can say that they're without sin. No one can say that they don't sin. That, that's not what John's talking about here. In fact, a real key to this passage is the word practice. So if you've got your notes there on the top, you might even circle that. And it's six times in seven verses, John uses the word practice. And this word practice is a verb, and it's in the present tense. And it really indicates a continual and, and habitual practice. John's not going to talk here about occasional acts of sin or, or, or making mistakes or... or what he's talking about is a continual pattern of sinful behavior in your life. Now, sometimes we're going to sin, and sometimes we're even going to sin willfully. We're going to even sin knowingly, but, but that's not what John's talking about. John's talking about the nature. So one of the things, I went home last night, I kind of felt like I didn't convey this very well, and I thought, how can I, how can I get the idea? Because John's not talking about individual sins. He's not saying if you, if you sin occasionally. He's not, he's not even saying if, if there's an area of struggle in your life. Here, here's what I think John's trying to convey here, if this makes sense picture that um, one day you walk out on a road and, and, and one direction goes north and one direction goes south and there's a car parked uh, on the north side and north and there's a car on the south side or uh, on the other side of the road that's facing south. It's going to go in that direction. That, you walk over to the car in the north and you kind of look inside and uh, there's a place for you to sit down and drive and, and sitting next to, to the driver's seat there is, is Jesus. And you say, hey, you know what's going on, Jesus? And he says, well, I've, you know, I've got this car here, and this is the car of faith, and if you get in this car, then I'd like to show you how to live, and this car, it heads north. 
And it's headed towards, you know, Righteousville. And uh, you get in the car, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that, you know, I'm going to show you how to drive and how to do it and how to steer. And, and uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to move in that direction. We're going to be in the lane that moves towards righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to sin sometimes. It doesn't mean, you know, you might speed sometimes. You might kind of veer over into the wrong lane. Um, you, you might not obey. You might not always use your signal. And you may make some mistakes. And some days you might speed, and some days will be better than others. But in general, here's what John's saying. You're in the car that, that Christ is controlling and you are moving and kind of a big, if somebody stepped back and said, so where are you headed in life? Well, I'm headed towards Righteousville. That, that's where I'm going. I, I'm moving towards a life that God has for me. So let's say you go over to the other car and you poke your head in and there's a guy in there, a little guy, pointy little, you know, he's on there and he's sitting there kind of, hey, what's going on? And you say, hey, what's the deal with this car? And he says, well, the deal with this car is different from the other one is I'm not going to tell you how to drive. Just, you can get in and do whatever you want. I'm not going to be Jesus over there telling you how to drive and telling you how fast to go and telling you when you're breaking the lawn. I don't do that. You can just get in here and you can drive as fast as you want, swerve all over the place. You don't have to signal. Stop sign. Don't even worry about it. Just, just, just do whatever you want. That's what you can. So you've got to make a choice. I think what John's saying here in general is he's not talking about little specific sins. He's saying, which direction is your life headed in, in in the big picture? So you step back and you look, are you headed north? Are you headed south? Are you headed towards Righteousville? Are you headed towards lawlessness? Which one is it? And that's the picture that I I think he's got going on here. And what John's going to say is, there's three really important reasons why a Christian wouldn't get in the car headed south. There's a good reason why on a daily basis you'll get in the other car that's headed north. Three reasons we want to consider, just kind of a big picture today, and the first is this that sin in the life of a believer, it just contradicts the lordship of Christ, the the rule of God in the world and specifically in your life. Think about it this way. A Christian is one who trusts Jesus, who follows Jesus. In fact, the word Christian originally meant little, little Christ. People who, you know, they're kind of like little Jesus. They wanted to be like him and live like him. He's their Lord. He's their, he's their leader. John starts our passage this way. He says, everyone who practices sin You know, they're headed in that big general direction, headed in that car, headed towards lawlessness, practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, the Bible has a lot of different descriptions of what sin is. Here, it gives us the word sin, which is the Greek word hamartia, and the word hamartia, which we get sin in this passage, simply means to miss the mark. In other words, it, it says that when God made you, when God created your life, it's like he kind of went over the wall and he drew a little bullseye. And he said, okay, here's life. Here's what I want you to do. And that, that, that bullseye is what we call righteousness. It, it looks like Jesus. It walks, it talks, it acts like Jesus. He's the definition of righteousness. And to, and to sin is simply to fall short uh, to miss that mark or to fall short of God's standard. Um, in chapter 5, John's going to say it this way, all unrighteousness, that is anything that doesn't match up to the character of God, that, that's what sin is. And the Bible is filled with descriptions of God's righteous standard for you and I. And sin is when we break that standard, when we move away from that standard in our words or our thoughts or our actions or when we do things we shouldn't do or don't do things we should do or we do the right things but with the wrong motives. What John says here though very specifically is sin is lawlessness. And you might underline that word lawlessness because that's an important word. What he's saying is sin is breaking the law but it's actually, it's it's deeper than that. 
It goes a little farther than that. It's, it's really a matter of the heart. It, it's a matter of the, of, of the will, especially. What he's saying is, the essence of sin is this. The essence of sin is when I assert my will against the will of God. When I know what God wants, when I know what God requires and, and desires, but I don't want to do it. I'm going to do something, something different. I don't want God telling me what to do. Sometimes we see that, right? Sometimes we see people who don't want anyone else telling them what to do. Uh, a month ago, I was with a, a team from Gateway, and we went to Nicaragua, and um, we, were, we were flying home, and I think we, I think we were taking off from Houston. Um, I think it was that flight. And so we're, we're all in our seats, and, and you know, the, the light comes on, put your seatbelt on, and you hear the announcement, please, you know, fasten your seatbelt and put your seats in the upright position and turn off all your electronic devices, your cell phones, your computers, or iPods, whatever it is, just turn it off and we'll take off shortly. And so as soon as that announcement goes over, there's a guy, a couple rows in front of me and across the aisle, and he's kind of like, you know, he's texting away. And when he hears it, he just does this, so, right? So now he's still there, but he's down, right, he's down here. So he heard, see, he heard the announcement. He heard what they said. He just, he, no one's telling him when he can text and he can't text. So he's a full-grown adult. He's kind of acting 10 years old. He's like, hey, if I put it down here, no one will see me. So he's down here and he's doing this and I'm kind of looking at him and, and pretty soon, you know, the stewardess, the flight attendant's coming up and she's checking all the seats, make sure your seat's up. And when she gets to him, he's kind of down here, he's kind of doing this and she kind of walks by and I don't think she she saw it, you know, so she goes back, and then a few minutes later, the announcement comes on again, we're about to depart, so be sure to turn off all your electronic devices, and he's still down there going for it. Now, I, I, I tell you that at this point, so I'm getting a little bit nervous, because I'm uh, flying, makes me a little bit nervous in the first place, and then when I see someone who's texting, I'm thinking he's going to throw off all the instruments, and we're going to fly into the mountain, and it's just going to be tragic, and we're all going to go down in flames and die, because this guy wouldn't turn off his phone, wouldn't stop texting, who even knows what he's doing, and so finally the flight attendant, she's coming forward one last time, and she gets to his, so he's facing forward, and she's kind of in back of him, and, and he's like here and he can kind of sense that she's there and she can see him and she's not saying anything. She's just standing there. And he's kind of doing this. He's getting farther and farther. And finally she's like, sir, you've been asked to turn that off. Now I can't see his face, but I think I could hear his eyes rolling back in his head. And he looks at her and he says, okay, okay, I'll turn it off. Just give me a minute. And she, so, and it was great because she like looked at him and she's like, sir, we asked you to turn that off 10 minutes ago. We wouldn't even be having this conversation right now if you acted like an adult. That's what she said. And you could kind of hear people like, like doing the same. But when I saw him, I'm kind of thinking to myself, that's, that's like totally, uh, that describes so many of us. We don't like people telling us what to do. We don't like people telling us when we can text and can't text. You see that with children who don't like their parents telling them what to do. We see that with, with, with parents, with full-grown adults who don't like, you know, an airline pilot telling them what they can and can't do. We see that with drivers on the road. I just, I, driving yesterday, I went into Camas, I kind of wondered, I, I, like, why do we even have stop signs anymore? Why do we even have red lights? Why do we have speed limits? Because nobody, you know, you drive down the road, we're going through the 45 section, right, where there's construction, and you could just see people like, oh, no one's telling me how fast to go. And, and going into, into Camas, on two occasions yesterday, I'm at, a, I'm at a red light, and there's a guy next to me, and it's a red light, and apparently, I don't know, they just kind of looked and said, oh, I think it's been red long enough, and they did twice, just drove right through, just boom, going right by. 
Twice I saw people on one-way streets and cameras yesterday like going, well, I just don't like that. I want to go the other way. And it kind of made me think, you know, like why do we even have rules and laws and, any, anymore? We're Americans. And you know, as Americans, we don't like anyone telling us what to do. We want to do what we want to do, and we want to do it, and I'll do what I want, and you can do what you want to do. And didn't we hear that in the video? I, I'm not going to tell you what's right and wrong for you, and you're not going to tell me what's right and wrong for me, and I won't judge you, and you won't judge me, and we'll all just be fine. And John says, that's crazy. Okay, that's sin, and sin is lawlessness. And lawlessness contradicts and disobeys the, the, the rule and the reign of God in our world. It's really the opposite of Christianity, isn't it? Because Christianity is about coming to Jesus and saying, you're the Lord of my life. You're, you're calling the shots in my life. It's really anarchy. Anarchy is where I say there's no established authority beyond me. And I'll decide what's right and wrong for me. If God tells me to do something that makes sense to me, well, I might do it. But not because of his authority. It's because, well, I happen to agree with him. But if he tells me not to do something, it tells me something I don't like it, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to do what I want. Isaiah put it this way. All of us, all of us have strayed away from God's standard like sheep. We have left God's paths to follow our own. We, we, we want to play God in our own lives. We've left God's path and we've decided to make up our own, our own path. We said, God, I know, you know, we're in the car and you, you want to drive towards Righteousville. I don't, don't really want to go there. I don't really want to pursue your will for this relationship. I want to do my will in this relationship. So we, 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 we veer off that path. I don't want to do your will with my schedule today. I want to do my will. I don't want to do your, your you know, uh, your will with my money or my talents. The question is, who's making the laws in your life? Who's determining what's right and what's wrong? Who's, who's, who's the umpire? Is it God or is it you? Jesus said it this way. One time he was talking to a crowd of people and, and they all wanted to be his followers. And so he, he said, let me just lay this out for you. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, your, your desire, your tendency to say, I'm going I'm to decide where I go and what I do. And he says, you must shoulder your cross daily and follow me. John puts it this way. He talks about practicing righteousness and practicing sin. He's not talking about an accidental breaking of God's law. He's not talking about a moment of weakness. He says, I, I know that's going to happen. I, I know that. Hey, what he's talking about is a way of life. Like in general, when you look at your life, you're on the road of lawlessness. That describes your life. He's not looking at the little individual things, just the big path that your life is on. And in general, what you practice is sin. And that's so different from reading Psalm 19 the other day. Listen to some of the words that the psalmist said. I love this. Talking about God's law in our life. He said, the law of the Lord, which so many people push up against, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. God says, you should make a right here. You're like, I don't know, God, if that's a good choice. It says, no, we can trust God. He makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are, are right. They give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. What do you value? What's important to you? He says, man, the psalmist says, the thing that's precious to me, more than gold, more than money, is the word of God. He says they are sweeter than honey, than, than honey from the comb. 
He says this, man, I trust God. I trust God. So John comes along and says, listen, sin is, is contradictory to the rule of God in the world. That's one of the reasons why Christians shouldn't practice sin. Here's another one. Because sin contradicts the work of Christ. When you think about it, it's pretty obvious. But here's what he says in verse five. Now you know, speaking of Jesus, that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. This is, this is an awesome passage. You can't miss the point here. In fact, I want to read it, and you'll fill in the gap for me, okay? Are you ready? He says, you know that he appeared in order to take away what? Yeah, let's try it again. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no, yeah, and no one who abides in him, and no one who has seen him or knows him. So you, you, you get the idea here. What he's talking about, he's just saying this. Jesus came and lived to take away sin. He lived a life without sin. He went to the cross to die for sin. He offers us the grace so that our sin can be dealt with and we can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now that's different than what you hear sometimes in church. Like sometimes Christians will say, well, the point of Christianity is that God forgives me and, and that's the whole point. God forgives me, and, and he does forgive you, but he also changes your everyday relationship to sin, and the focus of your life changes from your will to, to Jesus' will. So he talks here about, about abiding. He says, I abide. What does it mean to abide? In Jesus Christ. Well, again, it's kind of that picture at the beginning. It means when you give your life to Christ and you get in the car, and Jesus says, Now let's start heading towards Righteousville, and we get on, we pull on the road, and we start speeding. That means that you stay in the car with Jesus. You don't pull over every now and then and go, Well, that was a good drive, but I just want to go do something else for a while. To abide means to hold on to Jesus, to hold on to his person, to his will, to his word, to his priorities, to his commands, and, and his mission to take away sin. It means you hold on to that. Now again, don't get me wrong. John's not talking about perfection. John's not talking, you know, he's not saying, well, you, you know, you'll never sin. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a heart that loves Jesus. He's talking about a person who desires to hold on to God and, and, and to do his will, who embraces Jesus' victory over sin. Someone who views sin as Jesus did, who takes it seriously and who avoids it. In verse seven, he says this, Little children, so again, this is, this is John, he's in his 80s now, he's writing to, to people, second, third, fourth generation Christians, he's saying, I've been around the block a few times, I know what I'm talking about, so listen to me, kids, all right, listen to me. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. People are gonna come along and they're gonna say, it doesn't matter if you sin, it doesn't matter if you do this, it doesn't matter if you go down there, it doesn't matter if you get in the car with the devil and drive the other way, you don't have to worry because God's grace forgives you for all that and you'll never have to, you can live any way you want. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as is he, Jesus, is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For, for the devil is sin from the beginning. The Son of God appeared, watch, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. He says, there's only two kinds of people. There's only two kinds of lives, all right? They're Christians and they're non-Christians. And you can tell the difference between the two because the Christian practices righteousness and the non-Christian does not. He says, for those who are Christians, Jesus is the God of their lives. Does it mean they're perfect? No, but in general, what they practice is following Jesus. 
They embrace his agenda as theirs. He's calling the shots. He's the one with the map. He's telling them what direction to drive in. He's the authority. They love him. They want to be like him. They desire to, to please him. They want to obey him. They want to be holy as he is holy. These are people who practice righteousness. Are they perfect? No. But you can tell who they are because of the general direction that their life is moving. And they practice righteousness. There are those who are not Christians. And when it comes to their life, they're their own God. They're calling their own shots. They're indifferent towards sin. It doesn't really matter to them. They don't practice righteousness. But here's the thing. The, the primary reason that Jesus came to earth was to take away sin. That's why we have the incarnation of, of God. That's why Jesus came in the flesh. And that's why he taught on unholiness and righteous living. And that's why he lived a perfect life. That's why he went to the cross to pay for your sin and mine, to deal with that sin. That's, that's what the resurrection is all about, so that he can take away our sin. But he also gave us the power to overcome sin on a daily basis. And that's why we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us. And that's why we have the word to direct us. And that's why he's given us a new heart. So what John's saying is, if you just think about it for a minute, it's really inconsistent for a follower of Jesus to practice sin. That is, the general direction of their life is to practice sin. He says, that just doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. There's a disconnect there when you think about it. Jesus came to take away sin, but we practice it. So John says, here's the second reason that, it, that it's a contradiction. That the Lord and God who you follow came to, to, to do away with that. But there's a third thing he says, and that is that sin contradicts our, our new nature. And this is the thing John drills down a lot on in, in, this, in this letter. God has given us a brand new nature. If you're in Christ, he's given you a new heart. He's given you a new mind. He's given you a new perspective in verse 9. He says this, no one who is born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he, have, he is born of God. John says God's given you a new nature and he calls it a, a, a seed. When a person trusts in Jesus, he says, God plants a seed in you and some things start to happen in your life. In fact, a couple words we've talked about in this letter, one of the words is the word justification. One of the things God changes in your life when you come to Jesus is he, he justifies you. Justification is a, is a legal term in the Greek, and it refers to the fact that we used to be separated from God, enemies of God, but when, when we accept the work of Christ on the cross, we become justified. And that is that we now have a right standing with God because of what Jesus did. The picture of the Bible says is we were in sin, Jesus died for our sin, we embrace what Jesus did, and then he clothes us in the righteousness of God. God looks at you and says, hey, because of Jesus, you're righteous. And it's kind of a, it's a legal term that means God kind of stamps it and says, well, you're forgiven and you and I have a good relationship now. I know you're not perfect. I know you've made some mistakes. I know you sin. But when I see you legally, I see Jesus because of what he's done for you. That's justification. Then there's sanctification. That sanctification, the English word, comes from the, the Greek wo root word, which means holiness. 
holy. Hagiazo is the word. And that word hagiazo in the Greek means simply to set something apart out of, out of a, common, a common purpose and to set it apart for God. And when we talk about sanctification, what it means is we used to be in the world. We used to be in the other car driving south towards lawlessness. God took us out of that car, put us in his car, headed us in a new direction, and now we're set apart from the old purposes of life, and now we're living for God. And it's a progressive, sanctification is a progressive work God does in me where I become more and more and more like Jesus in the way that I live. But what John's talking about here is a third word. It's the word regeneration. You might write that down. To be regenerated, or in the, in the Greek, the, a regenesis, a rebirth, to be reborn. That when we're reborn in God, he gives us a, a new nature. That when we become children of God, which we talked about last week, he implants in us his seed. And commentators think that that seed that he gives us is a new nature, a new being, uh, an enlightened heart, a spiritual mind, uh, the power to resist sin and to live righteously. And maybe many of you have experienced that in your own life. There was a day when you were without Christ and you used to practice certain sins, say certain things, do certain things, and then you came to Christ and God changed you. And then maybe one day you were, you were involved in some sin and, and you thought, you know what? I used to do that, but I don't, I don't like to do that anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. It's not who I am anymore. And God began to change you because you were reborn. You had a new nature. John says, when you see that, that's evidence that God is in your life, that he's, he's changing you. In general, what does that seed of God produce in us? In Galatians, it says it produces stuff like love and, and joy and peace it means that, you know, you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you just think, man, I just have this real desire to love God today. I didn't used to have that desire. But now I find myself just wanting to be with God. I love God. And he says that's one of the works of the Spirit. God's making you a loving person. Maybe God's filling you with joy, and, and there was a time in your life when there was no joy in your life. And now sometimes you just find yourself that joy's welling up, and you're like, I don't even know where this is coming from. God says that's my seed in you. I'm changing you. I'm making you a person who's at peace, that has patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's the seed of God that's growing and, and changing you. In verse 10, he says this, and by this the children of God and the children of the devil are, are obvious. So watch what he says here. This doesn't take uh, rocket science. You don't have to be a theologian here, all right? He says this is obvious stuff. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother. He says, when you become a new person in Christ, you change. You can't help it. That's part of what John's getting at here. You can't help it. God is changing you, and that change will be obvious. You'll begin to grow in your love for God. You'll begin to grow in your worship of God. You'll, you'll do things you never imagined that you would do before. You'll come to a worship service and you'll be worshiping God and maybe you'll, you'll have a little hand going up in the air or maybe you'll be praying to God and you'll drop to your knees and you'll think, man, am I, what am I? Am I becoming a Jesus freak? What's going on here? I could have never imagined I would do this, but the love of God is capturing your heart. It's, it's changing you. Your character is changing. Your lifestyle is changing. Your thoughts and, and you want to love God and, and next week we'll talk about the fact that you want to love other people. Now be careful. John isn't saying that you're saved by your conduct 
And it's, it's easy for us to kind of think that's what he's saying here. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is we're saved by the grace of God when we place our faith in Christ. In other words, we, when, we, when we look, we poke our head in the car and we see Jesus in there saying, hey, come on in and I can give you a brand new life. What he's saying is that when we, when we get in that car with Jesus, that God does a work, he re, he, we're rebirthed, we're, we're regenerated, God changes our nature, and now our conduct will reflect our new nature. Christ followers practice a right living, not to earn God's love, but because we have God's love, and that's changing us. We don't, we don't practice right living to become children of God, we start living right because we already are children of God. We don't practice righteousness because we have to. We practice righteousness because we want to. Because God's changing our heart. He says the children of God and the, and the children of the devil are obvious. What, Paul's saying, or what John's saying here is there are only two groups of people in the world. There's only two. It may look like there's a bunch, but there's only two groups of people in the world. There are those who are the children of God and those who are the children of the, the devil. It, one group seeks to be under God and one group seeks to do their own thing. One, one group uh, seeks to reflect the character of God the Father and one, one doesn't. Jesus said it this way, you're either for me or, or you're against me. He didn't say, well, you could be for me or against me or I don't know, there's a whole bunch of shades in between. You, you know, there's a third option. You can be for me but not live like you're for me, right? And a lot of times in the church today, we're like, I don't know, sometimes I, I see people and like they say they're for God but then when I look at them, I'm not, and John's just saying, hey, it's, not, it's not rocket science. It's really simple because people who have been reborn and are captured by God, they can't help it you're going to be able to see this in their life. There's no third group. There's no third category. I, was, I, I knew that I was going to be teaching on this passage, and I was thinking about this when I was down in Nicaragua, and I had something happen. I know this will seem like completely unrelated. I apologize for that. Um, but we were, we were, when we got down there, and we were, we were at this farm in Nicaragua, we were digging this, this big pit, and we were going to build a bathroom facility on this farm, and we needed to put in a septic tank. And so we were digging this, this great big pit, and as it was being dug, we were piling dirt on the side. And then I think I, I shared with you last week, we had this huge rainstorm one day. And in, I think it was about 30 minutes, it rained about six inches. So I'm not really sure how this worked, but somehow that six inches of rain completely filled up that hole. Completely full, all the way to the top. And so... Um, Matter of fact, that's Mike standing there looking. I don't know what he's thinking, maybe jumping in or something. It was, but he's, we're, so we're there and we're on the side. And one of the things that they told us in Nicaragua is, man, be careful about snakes because there were sp supposedly a lot of snakes in the area. None of us had ever seen a snake in the area, but people talked about it so much that, you know, we were kind of concerned. Saw scorpions, we did see. Saw tarantulas. We saw really big spiders. There's just all sorts of stuff there. Um, I was working one day right by this, and I saw this, looked in the brush, and I saw this. It looked like a snake head, and I didn't notice it was actually, I'd never noticed how much a turtle head looks like, a big old turtle in the brush, just kind of blended, all I could see was his head, and then I saw it was a turtle, and I, but so anyways, I'm just saying, I'm kind of got this all in my mind, snakes and turtles and scorpions and all, so we were doing some plumbing, and we had all this, this plastic pipe laid out, and over a course of a few days with the rain and the mud, the pipe had just become caked in mud, and we needed to glue it together and get it clean, so there's no running water there, there's no hoses, or like, how am I going to clean this pipe? off and I thought I know I'll go to the you know the the pit there and I'll 
but I'll kind of get, get it in there and swish it around and kind of, you know, get it all clean. So I took a big piece of pipe and I stuck a really deep hole. I stuck it down there and swished it around and hoping no alligators came out or anything or water moccasins. And then I brought it up and I kind of, with my hands, tried to clean it off and put it back down. So I'm just doing this and I'm just kind of thinking. And it's just kind of a weird moment where something I saw something move in the corner of my eye in a pile of dirt, kind of saw it, and I, I kind of looked, and I wasn't quite sure what I saw, but my mind, like, didn't know what it was. It's like, here's something, and it doesn't look like anything I've seen, and it kind of looked at first like maybe it was a snake, but then it had legs, and I thought, okay, so it's, it's not a snake, but it has, because it has legs, but, but then it has like a, I saw this big tail rearing up, and I'm like, well, maybe it's a scorpion, you know, it's happening really fast, maybe it's a scorpion, but it's, it's huge, you know, and I'm like, it's, if it's a scorpion, we should all run, and so, but I'm kind of, so I, I'm, I've got this pipe, and I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to scream, because they'll just make fun of you, and you know, look, look at the little niñas, and so I'm like, you know, I'm gonna, so I'm kind of trying to be cool, and back, try to back away, and try to look, and it's moving towards me, and I'm like trying to get away, and I'm on my knees, and I'm trying not to stumble, and I'm looking at it, and all I can think is, I don't know what this thing is. I know what a snake is, and it's not a snake, and I, you know, I know what a scorpion is, and it's not a scorpion, I don't know what it is, maybe it's, maybe it's some new kind of creepy mutant thing that rolls out of the septic tank. I don't know what it is. And so finally, I kind of got away for a minute, and I looked. I looked really carefully, and I realized what it was. It was a good-sized snake that was just finishing up his lunch. He was eating a frog, and the legs were sticking out of the mouth. So I kind of, you know, and I saw it. I kind of looked, and I'm like, oh, actually, that's, that's really cool. And so, you know, so it was, it was a snake, and, and, the leg, and the legs were like the perfect size and color for the snake, and they were just kind of kicking out there, and I thought that. But it kind of, I don't know why. I know this is just sound weird, but I thought of this passage. <laughs> because when I think of it, John, I kind of picture John going, you know, sometimes, you know, you're walking around, and you're looking at people and you don't you're like I don't know what that is you know I, don't, I mean I, I know what a Christian is and I know what a non-Christian is and and John says there's only Christians and non-Christians but I'm kind of seeing this hybrid it's like something with legs got some legs and is it a snake or is it a frog or what is it or you know and John's just kind of saying there's only two kinds of people and I say that because a lot of times in the church today, we feel like, I don't know there's at least three kinds of people there's people who say they're Christian but they don't live like a Christian and when you look at their life in general, they're not practicing righteousness. They're not living in the grace of God. It really looks like they're heading in the other direction. Notice what John's saying here. John's saying it's, it's, it's obvious. You, you, in fact, what John says, what are one of the goals of his letter here? He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Notice what he says here. So that you may, you may know that you have eternal life. John says you can know whether you're saved or not, right? John says, he, he says this, there's a lot of confusion in the church today about can you really tell if someone's saved, if someone's not saved? Can you really tell if you're saved or not saved? John says, he, the idea that a person can be a Christian and be filled with God's grace and God's spirit and yet live like a non-Christian in lawlessness, John just says, I'm not seeing it. I don't think it's possible. John says, if, if that's you, if, if you're sitting here today listening to this and going, no, 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 I, I can remember a day I, I prayed the prayer, I said the thing, but when I think about my life, I'm really heading south right now. Here's what John says. I really got no words of comfort for you. If you're looking for me to, you know, pat you on the back and go, oh, honey, no, everything's fine. Don't worry about the fact that you're living completely kind. John's like, actually, if I were you, I'd be concerned. 
He's got no words of comfort for you. John says, why would we avoid sin? Because it contradicts the lordship of God. His rule in the universe and in our life. It contradicts the work of Christ, the very reason he came. And it contradicts the, the new nature that you have in Christ. Here's, here's my question for you. Which kind of life are you practicing? I'm not asking if you ever make a mistake or sin. Of course you do. My question is, when you step back and look in your li- at your life, which direction are you heading in? Are you in the car with Jesus, heading towards righteousness, and, and that's the thing that really describes the life, the way you're headed? Or are you really in the other car? And maybe you've just kind of floated, well, I prayed the prayer, I even got dunked one time, you know, so even though I'm not living like it, I'm sure I'm fine, and John says, oh. you might want to look into that. Which one are you? And if you're here today and you're like, no, no, I've done that. I, I know I've given my life to Christ. I, I know. Then my question would be this. Are you letting Jesus lead you? Are you living the life that he has for you? Has the Spirit, maybe, maybe you're here today and the Spirit's just been like, because he, maybe he's just patting you on the back and going, woohoo, man, this is just your lucky day because you've been, you, you've been having a lot of success lately and you should feel good about that. Let's keep that up. Maybe you're here today and Spirit's like, actually, you know what, you've kind of, we've been wrestling for the steering wheel here and you really, really need to listen to me in this area. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I don't, I've never actually poked my head in the car and had a talk with Jesus and said, yeah, I want to get in your vehicle, the vehicle of grace. I want to do that. And maybe today God's speaking to you and he says, come on, let's get on board with me. Let me become the, the Lord of your life, your God. In fact, last night we did that and we invited people if you want to make that and, and uh, want to follow God in baptism. And we had somebody last night who said, I want to follow God in baptism. We had somebody in the first service this morning say, I want to do that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're ready to make that decision. Pray that prayer. Give your life to Christ. Follow him in baptism. And if you are, I want to pray for you right now and come up to me and we can talk afterwards. We're going to fill that thing up in the next few weeks and we'd love to have you follow God that way in baptism. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you so much for these words. And they're, they're really black and white, very, very straightforward. But sometimes, Father, you know, we need that. We need to really be confronted. We need to look at the big picture of our life and ask, what, what am I doing with my life? Which direction am I, am I heading in? Have I given my life to Jesus? Is he Lord of my life? Is he calling the shots? Is he setting the direction? Father, every day when we get up, you know, you've given us time and abilities and talents and, and, and resources, and we have to decide what path we're going to take all that stuff down. Father, I pray for those of us who have given our lives to you, that you'll be the one setting the direction. I pray that we would be those who reflect the new nature of Jesus in our lives. And if, if you're here this morning and you've done that, you've given your life to Christ, Maybe there's some area this morning and you've really been struggling with God over control. Did you just talk to God about that for a minute? What is that? What has God been saying to your heart this morning? Maybe you just want to tell God, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiving me. God, help me to just live a life that honors you, that just honors the grace that you've given me. Maybe for you it's something really specific, some area of sin that you've been struggling with. But this morning God's been saying, I've I've given you a new nature. You're a new person. You need to give that over to God today.
Maybe you're here this morning and you've never, you've never placed your faith in Christ. But God's been tugging on your heart this morning and saying, this is it, this is the time. How do you do that? The Bible's really clear. First, you just admit your sin. Just, you could just tell God right now, Father God, I, I thank you for giving me life. I thank you for creating me with purpose. I know that I've strayed from your path. I know that I went out and did my own thing and my sin, my sin has come between you and me. But the Bible says if we'll confess our sin and place our faith in Jesus, that God will forgive us of our sin and make us new creatures in Christ. So you just pray to God, Father God, right now, I thank you for sending Jesus to the cross for my sin. Right now, I want to place my faith in what Jesus did for me. I want to ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sin and make me your son, your daughter. Wash me clean. And Father, show me how to follow you, how to honor you, how to live for you. And Father, I thank you that there doesn't need to be any confusion in my life. I can know that I have a relationship with you. Father God, I thank you for this letter from John that we've been reading and studying. And I pray today that you will strengthen our hearts and our minds as we go from here to love you, to honor you, to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. And if you'd like someone to pray with this morning, I'm gonna be up here. Some of our other pastors are here. If you're interested in following God in baptism, come up and talk to me and we can get you set up for that. If you'd like to give your life to Christ, if you prayed with me just now, come up and introduce yourself and I'd, I'd love to be able to talk with you and help you get started in your journey with Christ. Let's worship together.